The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, August 11th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss... Camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. And since it's a slow time for college basketball outside of commitments from prospects, what we decided to do with this episode is just take questions from you guys about various topics and answer them to the best or the worst of our ability. So we requested questions on Twitter Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday night. We got a bunch and we pulled a few of them. How you want to do this? Just alternate questions that we pulled and then answer them to the best or worst of our abilities? Yeah, let's uh, let's let's alternate you, me, you, me, volley back and forth. And listen, the, uh, our bosses say that these mailbag episodes with the, uh, with the other pods on our CBS Sports Network podcast, uh, they apparently do pretty well. So uh, we got a bunch of tweets. I pulled a couple from Apple Podcast Reviews. But we do want you to log them in Apple Podcasts, so we'll most certainly do another one in the offseason here uh, and incorporate them. So the tweets were appreciated, but uh, but for posterity and to make it easier to find, if you ever have anything that pops to your mind, good, bad, otherwise, feel free to uh, to drop an Apple Podcast. We'll be sure to check it, flag it, and put it in a document for future use. But yeah, we'll go... We'll go either or. We got some. We got some intriguing ones here. I'm I'm ready to dive right in. So the first question it comes from at Tyler Hertzfield on Twitter, and here's what he asked. He said, "If you were running a preseason event, what four to eight teams would be in it, and what would be your preferred venue?" So I took this question. And I said, "Okay, let's assume that we're counter programming the Champions Classic, Agreed. which I believe is November 9th." in Indianapolis It'd be a Tuesday night and that's going to be Duke, Kentucky and Kansas, Michigan state. So, that, so let's say you're trying to counter program that like that's on ESPN. And for some reason we're doing a double header on CBS. It's America's most watched network for crying out loud. We're doing a double header on CBS that same Tuesday night. Here's what I came up with. So we can't take Duke, Kentucky, Michigan state, Kansas. Here's what I came up with. Give me top rank Gonzaga with Chet Holmgren possible number one pick in the 2022 NBA draft and drew Timmy, your preseason national player of the year. That's easy. Mm -hmm. I think I want Texas big brand. Chris Beard's first game as the Texas coach and a preseason top five team. After that, Michigan, another big brand from the big 10. Juwan Howard's got a legitimate national championship contender, a well-known returning player in Hunter Dickinson and uh, a five-star freshman as well, who's a projected lottery pick. So that makes some sense. And then the fourth team, I think it's Penny Hardaway's Memphis Tigers, because you're going to have Jalen Duran and perhaps Amani Bates. 
So you get four teams, four big basketball brands from four different leagues. You got projected lottery picks all over the place. And um, and those are four teams that if Memphis adds Amani Bates, I think are probably all four preseason top 10 teams. In my venue, I'm putting it in Las Vegas because I think everything should be in Las Vegas. I know you do. Not surprised at that whatsoever. Okay, so you've got this first of all we're on the same page four teams instead of eight not that eight isn't doable but four is just it's much more practical here now you did this with the upcoming season in mind I did mine with the idea that it would be a an annual event that we would introduce to the college basketball uh season schedule and I also tried to pick four teams that aren't connected to annual events that they're always locked into like the champions classic or even the CBS sports classic which happens uh, the Saturday before Christmas every December here. So we have two of the same four teams, but let's start with the venue first. We're going to go to a spot where people want to go to, which isn't, I don't have Vegas. Vegas is obviously right near the top, but a big city, great destination, easy to get to, middle of the country. You're We're talking about the Pentagon in South Dakota. <laughs> I'm about, uh, I'm going to venture to say I'm about 500 miles east of the of the Pentagon. Although, nice venue. Love it. Great no, place. I don't want anybody to interpret that the wrong way. The Pentagon is awesome. It is. Oh, yeah, it is. No, wonderful venue. I need to get out there for sure. But we're going to go to the United Center in Chicago, middle of the country. And there's another reason for that. And I'll get to that in just a second. So this is going to be a four-team event. It's going to have four uh, teams from distinct parts of the country. Four of the 15 best jobs in the country, big brand presence, huge alumni backing at some of these schools. One of the schools is coached by a Hall of Famer. Uh, another one has as big of a, an influence in the, in the shoe company world as any. So I'm going to go with Michigan out of the Big Ten. It's Chicago, automatic, right? And, and this is, no matter if Juwan Howard's the coach or not, Michigan will be a huge draw. I'm going to go with Oregon. Because of Nike, you get some West Coast influence there. I'm going to go with Texas, obviously. And then I was thinking about getting Gonzaga in here, but I, did wanna, I didn't want to clog it up with Oregon and Gonzaga, and there's a reason why i got to have Oregon in this one instead of Gonzaga. So I'm going to leave Gonzaga out. And then the fourth team I'm going to have is Villanova, coached by Jay Wright. And what this is going to be is going to be Michigan, Oregon, Texas, and Villanova. And what do they all have in common? They're all either Nike or Jordan brand schools, and so... In Chicago, at the United Center, with those four schools, it will be the Nike Jordan brand showcase. What do you think? Oh, you named yours. Oh, I freaking named mine, dude. I got this. First of all, when this happens in three years, royalties, please. Uh, yeah, come on now. Tell me that doesn't work. You got to go Oregon over Gonzaga because it is the Nike Jordan brand showcase. Okay, I want to name mine as well. <laughs> okay, go it's ahead. Gonzaga, Texas, Michigan, Memphis, and it will be called... The Gary Parish Classic. Okay. I want to name it after me, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's fine. I think that I think that works. Same I didn't name any of my children after me. It feels like the least I could do is name a basketball event after me. That does work. I mean, if you want to, if you, yeah, I think that's only fair. I mean, although you, I think you did your children a favor by not having a Gary Parish Jr. Right? That was probably the right. Call. I I am Gary Parish Jr. That's right. You are. Had, well, you don't go Gary by Parrish. that. Yeah. They would have had to be Gary Parrish the third. Like it, it got so wild, like back in, you know, 99, 2000, when I broke this big uh, uh, scandal story, I was getting legit death threats. Guess who was getting the death threats? Your dad? My dad. Yep. Yeah. Because like, you know, people would look like this is back, 
kids, you're not going to believe this. They used to have a thing called phone books and people would just like pull out the phone book and find Gary Parish and call him. And people would be calling my dad and cussing him out. And my dad would be like, you've got the wrong Gary Parish. I'm not that guy. I cut meat for a living. Cut meat. Cut that I don't meat. Think he did at that point. GPJ. There's an MPJ. Obviously, Michael Porter Jr. We no one. No one calls you GPJ. Kind of. Kind of a mouthful, though. Kind of understandable. But I always forget that you're a junior. Never. I grew up playing baseball with uh, a, a a a Gary, another Gary Jr. Different last name, obviously. And he went. He was called Gary Gary, Tre- Gary Trent Jr. That's right. No, he grew up playing baseball with Gary Trent Jr. <laughs> he was called, and he was called Gary J. That's what they called him, Gary J. And I was Little Gary. Like I still have friends who call me Little Gary. I, I believe it. <laughs> I, I believe it. All right, next question. No, no, gonna, you know what my other nickname what, was? What? Scoop. You want to know? It had nothing to do with journalism. It was because uh, I was a, a second baseman with incredibly soft hands. Scoop. I got called Scoop because I had incredibly soft hands. <laughs> Finished second in an infield competition at Mississippi State University after my sophomore year of high school. Thought for sure they were about to offer Lil Gary. In reality, they didn't even look at me. I was five foot six, 120 pounds. They didn't care about me at all. Let's keep it rolling. All right. Next one comes from Blue Gator Fan on Apple Podcasts. I like Mark Few, or I did when he was an overachiever, but clearly your love for Coach Few continues. One week, he's the paragon of virtue for his scheduling. Then, this week, he's lauded for his recruiting prowess. Let's keep it going. Maybe next week, you can explain to us why Coach Few won't try to join a major conference where he'd play more than five to six tough games on his way to these 31 seasons with his new star-studded teams. When will you please dare to explain that to us? Surely, your love for Coach Few hasn't blinded you to that glaring question everyone wants to know the answer to. Has it? I'll be listening Eager to hear that explanation. Keep up the great pods. Blue Gator fan. I got data here, but I'm going to hand it over to you first before I about before I lay this smack down. Go ahead. Well, it's just nonsensical. You know, it, it's just your classic uh, Gonzaga's overrated crowd that doesn't actually pay attention to any computer numbers or the results. They've been in two of the past four championship games. Like, what are we talking about? Gonzaga is awesome. One of the biggest brands and most consistent winners in um in college basketball and did you watch last season yeah yes they're in the west coast conference but um they blasted kansas from the big 12 they blasted auburn from the sec they blasted west virginia from the big 12 that game was a little more competitive than blasted but you get the point they blasted iowa from the big 10 they blasted virginia from the acc i I can acknowledge that gonzaga's records would be slightly less over an extended period of time if they played in the big 10 or the big 12 like we don't have to be um insincere here but gonzaga would be um at, at the point at the level at which gonzaga operates now gonzaga would be great in any league. And I don't think I, I got to tell most people, but just in case somebody's wondering, um, Mark Few is not in charge of what conference the Zags are in. Like that's not up to him, but I, I don't doubt that he would, um, he, if, if something made sense, I don't think he'd be the one to veto it. I, you know, I might advise him against vetoing it. Um, I mean, I might have advised him to veto it because yeah. I think Gonzaga has set itself up in a really unique you know, situation where they are one of the few programs outside of the traditional power structure that can break through and get games against basically anybody on neutral courts. They can get North Carolina to come to Spokane. Like no, no, no other 
school from a league like the WCC is, is able to do something like that. So I would, if I'm Gonzaga, I have no interest in leaving. Like we've got this thing rocking and rolling the way it is. I'm not messing with it, but um, I don't think Mark would be the one to shy away from anything, which is why he literally schedules as aggressively as he could possibly schedule in the non-league portion every single year. Don't forget, in addition to Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa, Virginia in the non-league last year, he also had a game against Baylor got canceled because of COVID. So uh, I I just, at this point, I, I, a don't understand the Gonzaga negativity and B um, I don't really pay it much attention. It's stupid. Yeah. In addition to a lot of people don't realize this, but in addition to running the Gonzaga men's basketball program, Mark view is in effect also the commissioner of the WCC. (laughs) They have a 16 game league schedule. Everyone else in the league wants to do 18. And because Gonzaga does not want to go to 18 and wants to have 16, That is exactly why that happens. Here's the data on this, just the past 10 seasons. 88 games against power conference teams or road or neutral situations against the likes of the A-10. I also include that as well because if you're playing like a road game against, uh, say, a school like Dayton, that, that's, that's, that's more difficult than playing a home game against a Washington State, which Gonzaga has done a number of times. 88 games the past 10 seasons Gonzaga has played against power conference opponents in the regular season and in the postseason 64 and 24 record. That's a 727 non-conference win percentage against the best teams Gonzaga has faced in only the past decade alone. That's 73% of those games that went in Gonzaga's favor. Mark Few for his career has won 84% of his games. That's the best win percentage in history and frankly probably forever will be the case there. So 73% and there is no shortage of not just neutral games, but road games against power conference teams. So if you want to posit that Gonzaga wouldn't be as successful in the only reasonable swap it could be in the PAC 12, as it's been in the WCC, obviously that's correct. No doubt about it. Gonzaga's won like 90.3% of its league games since Mark Few's been head coach. They would not win at a 90% clip and probably would not win at an 80% clip in the Pac-12, obviously. But at this point, the data suggests that Gonzaga would be much, much closer to a Kansas in the Big 12 situation than even like a Minnesota in the Big 10, St. John's in the Big East, or even like a good, not great Syracuse in the ACC. Like if Gonzaga went to the Pac-12, if we could go back in time and dial this back 10 years ago, and Gonzaga goes to the Pac-12, I'm telling you, on a year-by-year basis, Gonzaga is never worse than third in that league, and it's probably winning the Pac-12 more than half the time. The debate is over. I just gave you the data. GP laid it out. We didn't really get into it too much last season in terms of what they've actually accomplished in non-conference when we talked about how great they were, but this is why the Gonzaga, how would they do in a real league conversation needs to end, and we just ended it. If you're committed to you know, discounting Gonzaga, the way to do it to, if you want to, if you're interested for reasons that would make no sense to me, say this, I don't think Gonzaga could have ever become this if it were in the PAC 12 or in the big 12 or in the big 10. Like, I don't think Gonzaga could have ever built to this point in a, in a, in a power conference. That might be true, but it's also irrelevant. They have built to this point in a way that it's, unprecedented in the history of, of college basketball. And now that they've got it at this point, you could take them and put them in any league and they do just fine. They, 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 they'd win a lot more than they, they lose. Let's go to the next one. 
Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This one comes from at Gabe is a Holt 33. I'm not in charge of people's Twitter handles. They, they get to make those themselves. At Gabe is, Holt, is a Holt 33. Okay, here's what he asked. Do you think that the reason the Big Ten can't pull off a national championship since Michigan State in 2000, in, in the year 2000, is that a Conan O'Brien thing? In the year, in two, the year 2000. <laughs> Sometimes I just say little phrases and they remind me of things, and that was one of those deals. Do you think that the reason the Big Ten can't pull off a championship since Michigan State in 2000 is due to the fact that the conference is full of, quote, traditional bigs? If you look at next year's top three teams, here we go again. They got Hunter Dickinson at Michigan, Trevion Williams at Purdue, Kofi Coburn at Illinois, all back to the basket bigs. So this is one of those questions where I read it, and for about two seconds, I was like, you know, this is interesting. I wonder if there's something to that. And then I was like, no, nah, there's nothing to that. Um, plenty of schools since 2000 have won a national championship with traditional centers. I mean, just off the top of my head, 2004, UConn, Mecca Okafor. 2005, North Carolina, Sean May. 2006, 2007, Joe Kim Noah at Florida. Uh, 2008, Kansas had Darnell Jackson in the middle. 2012, Kentucky had Anthony Davis. And I know he's modernized. He was, yeah, himself. he's a little modern. Yeah. He also was like, what the, what, what was it famously? What was he like, the fourth leading scorer on the team? But yeah. I don't know where he was exactly, but I, my favorite stat, fact. It was that Michael Kidd Gilchrist and Anthony Davis, you know, in reverse order, went one and two in the 2012 draft, and they were fourth and fifth in field goals attempted per game for that Kentucky team. But here's my point. Uh, whatever, forget what Anthony Davis is now at Kentucky. You know how many three-pointers he made all season? Take a guess. Trivia time. Uh, zero. Three. He made three. He was three of 20 on the season from three. So like he was closer to a traditional center than a modern center at that time, but whatever. Take it. How about let's move on. 2015. Okafor. Here's Jalil Okafor. 2017. North Carolina. Kennedy Meeks. Yeah. And so I don't think there's anything. To, I don't think having a traditional center prevents you from winning a national championship. We just laid out a whole bunch of examples since the last time Michigan State, uh, since the last time a Big Ten team won a national championship. Here's the truth. If you go through like this same stretch of, you know, 20 years, whatever. Michigan was good enough to win a national championship last season. So was Illinois. Just didn't happen. Michigan State was good enough in 2016. Um, they were third at Ken Palm entering the NCAA tournament. Just didn't do it. And Wisconsin was in the title game. 
in 2015 with multiple NBA players, and they had just beaten the best team in the country. If you just beat Kentucky on a Saturday, there's nothing crazy about beating Duke on a Monday. They just didn't do it. Indiana was a number one seed in the 2013 NCAA tournament with three future NBA players, including a future all-star in Victor Oladipo. Uh, Michigan State was a number one seed in 2012. Could have done it then. Ohio State actually finished number one at Kempom in 2011. By definition, good enough to do it. Ohio State was in the 2007 National Championship game with Greg Oden and Mike Conley. So this whole, the Big Ten hasn't won a championship in, you know, since 2000 is a, I think sometimes people state that fact but totally misrepresent what it means. What it means is that it hasn't happened. It doesn't mean it couldn't have happened. Yep. I think there's a big difference between those two things. Um, like no Sunbelt team has won a national championship since, you know, maybe forever. I don't Ever. Know. I don't. I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, uh, Sunbelt teams never won the national championship. Okay. Let's just go. With it Extremely okay. confident in that without having researched it prior to the podcast. What, what I believe that means is that no Sunbelt team can. Like, it's not going to happen. Um, but there's, a, a, I just gave you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven obvious examples of Big Ten teams that could have won a national championship since 2000. Just didn't do it. To me, this is a lot like um, Gonzaga hasn't won a national title. Well, it doesn't mean Gonzaga can't. It doesn't mean Gonzaga won't. It just means Gonzaga hasn't done it. But Gonzaga clearly can. It's had multiple teams that were good enough to win national titles at this point. Just hasn't happened. How about this? I have never made a hole in one. Doesn't well, mean I can't. It, actually, it does. But yeah. Feels like it means I can't. I acknowledge. Not, I but, your inability to make a hole in one has no. <laughs> I, Gonzaga's, Gonzaga's got a better chance of winning a national championship than I do of a hole in one. I got you. Significant. But, but if I stood, if I stood on the tee box for five hours today, and just kept hitting balls at the same pin, would I get one to go in? I think so. I don't know, Scoop. I, don't <laughs> I, know about so that. I might. My point, you know, I think I might. Don't dare me to do it. I, don't dare me I've, to do I've it. I've got video of you at uh, at uh, down, in, down in Augusta less than a month ago going, swinging the sticks. I can, I, I can put a ball on a green, all right? So you put enough balls on the green, eventually one's going to go in. <laughs> just because I haven't had a hole in one doesn't mean I can't make a hole in one. And just because Michigan, no, no Big Ten team has won a national title since Michigan State did it in 2000 doesn't mean that, um, that, that the Big Ten can't or won't. It, it, it might actually happen this season. That's right. Six schools have made seven title game appearances since 2000, starting with Indiana in 02, Illinois 05. I mean, think about how close Illinois was, right? Ohio State 07, lost to Florida. That was a really, really, really good Florida team. Uh, they've just come close. This is one of those talking points, stats, nuggets that gets brought up basically every March because the Big Ten almost always has a team that is on the one line. And so because of that is, will this be the team that finally does it? It just hasn't happened yet. Very well could. And even beyond that, a team from the Big Ten has made the Final Four in 12 of the 20 tournaments since 01. So since basically 2000 when Michigan State did it. It's it's just, it's hard. It's it, Sometimes the, the tournament is just, it's a random results generator to a certain extent. And the Big Ten just hasn't had its number come up yet. And I do think it's coming. Like I feel like next, two, next three years, it feels like it's really, uh, it's closing in. Okay. I'm going to make a hole in one. Okay. 
I'm, I'm going to mark. I'm, I'm going to go out here and say we're going to have a Gonzaga national championship and a Big Ten national championship on the men's side before you make a hole in one. Although I'd love to be proven wrong. Uh, your results at Top Golf suggest otherwise, though. And I'm what not about, saying what anything about, about what about what about a Sun Belt team? Can uh, I get a hole? Then I'm going to give I'm going to give you the edge. I'm going to give you the narrow edge there. All right. Um, all right. Michael Hill has the next one. Says Matt. Chris Beard doesn't go back to Little Rock. <laughs> no, he's not. Chris Beard's not returning to Little Rock. I think we are safe. If he was there, it'd be a different conversation. Michael Hill asks, Matt, what's up with the Blues Traveler Twitter profile pick? Uh, side note on that, I just always rotate in a new album cover every four to five months on Twitter because uh, it's just my thing. So now I have the Velvet Underground and Nico classic, classic record. Um, his serious question is, with Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC, how do you power rank the conferences in terms of overall strength over the next five years? How does it change if Kansas goes to the Big Ten? Uh, we were not... I, I thought that, like, escaped out with some sort of, like, talk radio, sports radio rumor thing with Kansas, like, in serious... Did you hear that Kansas was, like, in talks to consider... I didn't take it seriously, but that was something that... Someone at a radio station reported this, right? I wrote a column about, you know possibilities going forward for the remaining eight big 12 schools and like people jumped i posted on facebook and people jumped on and they were like well gp the thing you're missing is that uh kansas is going to the big 10 and i'm like maybe but like the idea that it's done you know that just not true it's like guy was like i heard it on the radio i'm like well that's 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 not gonna meet my standard no, for no, rewriting no. my column. Not that, that it could not yeah, not that it couldn't happen. And I think the and big twelve. Yeah, no, it might. It, it could it could theoretically happen. Yeah. But like the idea that oh well, you know, the next thing that's obviously happening is Kansas is going to the Big Ten. Like we ain't there yet. It might happen. I'm not ruling it out. But like we. Ain't. <laughs> Right now, I'm going to assume that Kansas is with the remaining Big Eight school. Big yeah, 12 I mean, schools. to be to be clear, just to, to answer the end of that question first, how does it change if Kansas goes to the Big Ten? Well, then the Big Ten is the best basketball league on the men's side in, in the country, and that's not even arguable. But uh, that's not how I arranged my my ranking here. So what I did was I'm going to take the Big Twelve and Texas and Oklahoma just purely at their word right now, and for the next five years, they're remaining in the Big Twelve. Now, if they if they change, say after the next two seasons. Seasons, I'll throw you how I would slot things differently. But for the next five seasons, the seven major conferences, I would arrange them this way. I would say Big Ten won. I would still have the Big 12 as the second best league with Oklahoma and Texas in it. And I would think that gap is very close. Like you could kind of flip Big Ten or Big 12 again. This is provided that the Sooners and Horns are in the Big 12 for five straight seasons. And then number three, I'd go the Big East. And if that's a little surprising to you, I will just let you know that five of the past eight seasons, the Big East has ranked either second or third in overall power ranking at Ken Palm among all leagues. So the Big East is kind of an easy number three for me there. Four, I would go SEC, and then five, ACC. And if you are an ACC purist who cannot fathom the idea that the ACC would be fifth in, a, in an echelon like this, I would just put it this way. You've got UNC and Duke, which uh, are changing this season and next. We don't know what... They're still going to be, obviously... Very good programs, but are they going to lose some of that luster? We don't know. We don't know. Syracuse will probably have a coaching change, although if you told me Bayheim was coaching in his 80s, I believe you. But I'm going to lean toward Bayheim's out in the next five years. He retires. Mike Bray is retiring in the next few years. Leonard Hamilton most certainly probably will be out within the next five years. So that's five schools. That's a third of the league 
and they're really good schools, and they have been for the most part, that are having a head coaching change. That's significant. Plus, take into account, like, there's going to be at least, at least three other jobs in that conference that will change in the next three to five years as well. And we wait to see what's happening at Louisville from an infraction standpoint. All of those things, on top of what the SEC has in terms of its coaching stable right now, you look at who's coaching in the SEC and how that, I, I, I'm I, fairly comfortable putting the SEC ahead of the ACC, and then I have the Pac-12 at 6 and the American at 7. Now, if the Big 12 loses Texas and Oklahoma, say, July 1 of 2023, then I would go Big 10 1, Big East 2, SEC 3, ACC 4, Big 12 Five, Pac-12, six, American, seven. And the American would be at real risk, hypothetically, of, of losing its stature, even of being a major conference, because in that hypothetical, I am saying the Big 12 is getting at least two other teams, and at least one of them is a power player from the American, be it Memphis or Cincinnati, what have you. But even still in that scenario, I would, uh, I would open with the Big 12 at five. Okay, so next question comes from Eddie. It's at... E-B-A-J-E-K-8-5. I'm not even going to, I don't want to mispronounce that. So I'll just, he's going to be Eddie for our purposes. He asked, is he crazy to think that Purdue is a national title contender? And to that, I would say um, no. Now, what's funny is that we were talking about Matt Painter on a previous offseason podcast. And I was like, you know, if you told me Matt Painter was going to coach at Kentucky for 10 years, I would tell you Matt Painter is going to win a national championship. But I just don't know that he'll ever have the roster to do it at Purdue. And as I started thinking about it, like actually in fairness, somebody brought it up on Twitter. And as I started thinking about it, I was like, he might have the roster to do it at Purdue right now. <laughs> like um, I've got Purdue preseason top 10. They're returning the top eight scores from a team that was a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Trevion Williams is an awesome college player. He's going to have a chance to be a first team all American. Jaden Ivy is a real NBA prospect. Matt Painter is a great coach. So no, you're not crazy to think Purdue's a national title contender. I think Purdue's a national title contender. You know, do, do I think, would I put Purdue ahead of Gonzaga or nine others or eight other schools? Um, no, that's why I didn't. But Purdue's going to be really good. I think in the Big Ten right now, I would have it, if you told me like rank top five in the Big Ten, I might go Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State, Maryland. But Purdue is absolutely a national championship contender. They're, you know, how different from a talent perspective is Purdue's roster from the Baylor roster that just won a national championship. Not significant at all. I mean, Davion Mitchell, probably a better NBA prospect than anybody on Purdue's roster. Mm -hmm. And then you also had um, Jared Butler, who's a legitimate NBA player. But that might be it, you know, at Baylor. I don't don't know that anybody else from that team, outside of Matthew Meyer, maybe someday, is going to stick in the NBA. And, and Baylor just rolled through a whole season and won the national title. I'm not ruling it out. I'm not predicting it, but I'm certainly not ruling it out. If you're a Purdue fan, shouts to Jerry Palm, shouts to Julie Villanova, you should set your sights as high as you can set them. Don't put a ceiling on this. This is this is a team that, on paper, looks good enough to do whatever you want them to do. Yep, Purdue was uh, 25th at Ken Palm last season, had an 18-10 and 10 record, uh, obviously got knocked out of the first round uh, as a four seed to North Texas in, in overtime there. But bringing back a ton. I'm telling you, uh, Zach Eady, who had himself a nice showing in some uh, some international play earlier this summer, uh, 7-4. Travion Williams is going to be either a first-team or second-team preseason All-American. 
Uh, and Jaden Ivey is going to have a lot of buzz, and I think Jaden Ivey has really good potential. But I've been told that there is a very, very, very good chance that by the time we get to the NCAA tournament, Zach Eady is going to be the best player on Purdue's roster, and they certainly can win the national championship next season. If Williams and Eady become the best one-two front court combination uh, and they can play together and log a ton of mutual minutes and be productive, and Painter's uh, really smart about how he uses his rosters and his substitutions, um, you throw in Sasha Stefanovic, yeah, there's the, the, Purdue is capable of winning the national championship next season. I might have to resist putting them, you know, along the lines of number f- number 5 in my in my preseason rankings cuz I do like a lot of what they bring back and this is a great question. This is why I like doing the mailback stuff because I don't think we get to something like this until we maybe did our Big 10 preview, but if you're the kind of person that likes to throw down money on future bets, I got to think right now Purdue is pretty solid value. So you're going to want to do that now before we get to the first or second week of the season and we get some results and maybe that number shrinks a little bit. So definitely not crazy. Purdue uh, is going to be a preseason top 10 team and with good reason because of the size, talent, and the uh, the amount of experience that returns to that roster. Agreed? I Yeah. I mean, if you told me that Purdue was in the Final Four, that wouldn't be crazy to me. If you told me that Purdue beat Texas in a national title game, that wouldn't be crazy to me. Like, you know, when you've got great college player, check, legitimate NBA prospect, check, experienced, established depth, check, and a great coach, check, you've got a chance to win a national championship. Trivia time. Okay, what's up? Last time Purdue made a Final Four. That was, uh, I know this because it's like one of those that's out, like it's a thing, but I don't know it. Like, I, I, I know there's something to that. The, the, the there is something to it. There's there's an interesting, I guess, nugget to it. But yeah, I'm just gonna uh, forfeit. <laughs> okay. Uh, whenever you trivia time me, I never just forfeit. But you're just gonna okay. forfeit. You're just gonna you're just gonna, you're just gonna call it. I'm, I cannot wait till I hit a hole in one. All right. It's the last time that Purdue made the Final Four. I'm gonna call you Mr. Forfeit. Scoops forfeit. <laughs> I knew this when I'm looking at it now. It's 1980. I knew it was 1980. And what is the irony about that? You didn't know it because you didn't say it. The irony about it is that Gene Cady, in all his years there, nope, couldn't make the Final Four. When he started, Purdue never made one. But the last one it made was 1980. Right at the turn of Katie's, uh, Katie's time there. So, like the the other one that from a power conference that I always get confused with Purdue. I don't even, maybe it's a colors thing. I don't know, but like surprising. This is, I think the first time I heard this, I remember being surprised by it. Missouri's a great, like a, a really good basketball school, like real, like real basketball history. Never been to a final four. I know it's wild. Missouri's, uh, I want to say either the winning, I think that the winning is program not to make a final four. BYU has been to more tournaments than any other program not to make a final four, but I think Missouri has the most wins ever, but yeah, it is a, uh, it's wild. Let's talk about a team. That's not like Missouri, but has a Missouri tie. 
Gonzo Martin got a question from Ballin Phil on Apple Podcast. Says, what do the Cal Golden Bears need to do to be relevant again? Should they try to follow the model Quanzo used? Seems unlikely for several reasons, i.e., Ivan Rad being local, Jalen Brown caring about academics, or hope Fox can get things going. Now, we normally wouldn't talk about the Cal Golden Bears, but I find them to be maybe the most fascinating situation of any team in a power conference because they are, for the most part, just kind of an afterthought in the sport, and they probably have no business being that. Here's the deal. I thought that Washington was the worst team in the Pac-12 last season. That wasn't the case, GP. It was actually Cal. Cal finished below Washington in the league standings. Washington only won five games, but four of those were in the Pac-12. I don't know that Cal has ever been relevant, or at least it hasn't been relevant since the year surrounding Jason Kidd's enrollment. How about this? Well, Jalen Brown and Ivan Rabby in there. Were they, I mean, those were good recruitments. Were they relevant when that happened? When you enroll two guys like that, yeah. you're going to be, you're, you're at least going to be relevant in the preseason. <laughs> then we'll see what happens. Yeah, exactly. So here's, how about this? They got those guys. They didn't go to the tournament. They've been one, they've been to one tournament since 2013. Since 2013, they've been to one tournament. They've made one, <laughs> it's the new Arkansas. One sweet 16 since 1997. I know. I, no, I, zero I, since 97. I, zero since 97 for Cal. That, right. That's kind of mind-blowing, right? Well, you want to guess that? I would, I would not have assumed that. I mean, 1997, that's a long time ago. You were, you were Scoops Parish in 1997. I was. You were Scoops Parish. It's soft hands. I could turn a double play. So here's, here's a wow. Jason Kidd wasn't even a Pac-10 first-teamer in either of his seasons. But Lamond Murray was both. Jason Kidd made the second team. That wowed me. Since 07-08... Cal has had at least one first-team guy 10 times. Ryan Anderson, Patrick Christopher twice. I have no memory of Patrick Christopher. Be honest. Do you remember who Patrick Christopher was? I, re- I recognize the name, but I don't have any recollection. No memory of that. Close Jer- my eyes and picture him. Nope. I wouldn't be able to do that. Jerome Randall, uh, Jorge Gutierrez twice, Alan Crabb twice, Justin Cobbs in 2013-14, and then Jalen Brown in 2015-16. Brown's the only... First team Pac-12 guy Cal has had in the past seven seasons. They're the number 70 ranked program in Ken Palm school rankings, which compiles data achievement results since 1997. Coincidentally enough, the last time Cal made a Sweet 16, uh, they didn't make my list of the best programs uh, in college basketball history that I had last year. You know, locally, it goes up against Stanford. It's Cal's not quite as good, obviously, academically, Stanford, although it's very, very good. Um, so it gets. I think part of this is that it gets into this weird tough spot where if you're a super smart player that wants to go to a a really good academic school if you've got an offer for Cal you're often going to have an offer for Stanford and this is kind of kind of leads to like well then Stanford should really be better overall as well but we're dealing with Cal so we'll, we'll focus on California um, I think that's part of it uh, St. Mary's can recruit decently well and it's in the backyard there and within its own league Cal falls behind at least UCLA Arizona Oregon USC and Stanford. And then once you get to the sixth spot overall, I think it gets interesting. Um, but I appreciated the question because I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if, if, if Cal, you know, Mark Fox, really good guy. I think he's going to have a good chance at getting Cal at least respectable in that league. But if you're asking me when Cal is going to be able to return to relevance, I just don't know. That athletic department was going through serious financial straits in the past half decade there. They, you know, trying to get a lot of things figured out. I think of both football and men's basketball, uh, that program has had a lot of issues. Just kind of finding sustained relevance. I don't know, though. Like, if you told me we look up in 10 years and Cal's men's basketball program had only made the tournament twice, you know, over the next 10 years, 
I, I believe it. So they might be just kind of a program that's just kind of kind of there. But it just fascinates me because it's in an awesome part of the country, really, really good school. I've never been to the campus, but I've heard it's just really, really good. Like, why would you not? If you had the opportunity to go and play for that program in that part of the country, why would you not? And yet, for some reason, they just can't get it going. I find their situation, uh, GP, I just find it fascinating. I wanted to highlight that with that question because I don't know. I don't know what that, I don't know what they are missing. They are clearly missing something, though, and it's it shouldn't be the way that it is, but nevertheless, it is. If you are fascinated by Cal's situation, you're going to really be fascinated by this. Okay. Jalen Brown and Ivan Rab did indeed go to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they went to one tournament. They went to one tournament since 2013, and that was the one they went to. They were a four seed. I'm going to say they lost to, was that when they lost to Hawaii? That's when they lost to Hawaii. Call me! What do you, you, what do you mean you're bra- you, Call you're me! Bra- Five minutes ago, you said they didn't even go to the NCAA tournament. That might have been true, but I, I, I had in my notes they'd been to one since 2013, and then I was like, what, but that was the one? It was the that one. one. Yeah, Jalen Brown, Ivan Rand, Tyrone Wallace. Oh, yes, of course. Jabari Bird, Jordan Matthews. Loved Jabari Bird's game. That was a talented that team. That was a good team. That was a good finished, team. Finished, lost to Hawaii first round. That was disappointing, but finished 28th at Ken Pop. Um, the, the, the listener you know, referenced, like, you know, Conzo got. Ivan Rabb and, and Jalen Brown, those are two five stars. But the situation, you know, so I, I guess the uh, implication is like, uh, so clearly you can get five stars to Cal. And I, I, I guess so. But like the circumstances there were very unique. Ivan Rabb was local. So you had an in there. And Conzo, if I remember correctly, like really developed a strong relationship with Rabb and the people around Rabb to get that done. And then Jalen Brown, if we're being honest, I think that was, I think Sharif Abdurrahim had a lot to do with that. Yeah. You know, former Cal great. He's from the Atlanta area. Jalen Brown was from the Atlanta area. There was some, like they had a, they had a, they had a connection there that made Cal sensible for Jalen Brown in among the connections. The fact that Jalen Brown is a bright, super bright young guy. And Cal is a, 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 an incredible academic institution, but like, you know, the, the Sharif Abdur Rahim connection was strong there as well. And so that's how that got done. I just because Conzo in that year went out and grabbed five-star Ivan Rab and five-star Jalen Brown. I don't know that that's a great indicator that, you know, another coach is, should be, you know, expected to do, something similar. I think that was a very unique set of circumstances in both situations, but you know, the, the truth is the Cal job's a hard job. You know, Conzo like, is the only coach not named Mike Montgomery who has taken Cal to the NCAA tournament since 2006. It's a hard job. And so um, like Foxy will get it. I, I do agree with you. I think he'll get it to a respectable place, but it's, um, it's not the, it's not the easiest job in the world or even in the PAC 12 and certainly not in the state of California. All right, next question. At comes from Nick on Twitter. He's at Father Fadre. Says, what 2022 prospect will benefit most from the reclassification of Jalen Dern and Amani Bates? Those, of course, were the top two players in the class of 2022, according to 24-7 sports. Uh, but now they're both members of the class of 2021. And so who benefits the most? I think this is easy. 
Tamari Bailey. Whose oh, mama is Joanna? Joanna Leah. She's thick. She's oh, thick. He's going to be, well, he is now the number one player in the class. Although we will, we'll, we'll scoot in a little bit of news here with this. I mean, the number two player now in the class is Keontae George, who just committed to Baylor uh, earlier this week. Five star combo guard um, out of Louisville, Texas. That's a big get for Baylor. Probably, yeah. I mean, Amari Bailey, more than because just I guess by virtue of being the number one player in the class of 2022, that that benefits him more, I guess, GP, right? I, I can see that. Yeah. I don't know, though. I got to say, as we look at this right now, and we'll see if 247 does a, does a refresh on this. Here's the top. I'm going to read you the top six because I think one, one of these six has a, will wind up being the best player in the class, like when we look in the NBA 10, 12 years from now. Amari Bailey, one. Keontae George, two. Chris Livingston, three. Derek Whitehead, who is committed to Duke, he's four. Derek Lively, who has a 100% crystal ball for Kentucky, is five. And then Shaden Sharp, also a 100%. Uh, I think him going to Kentucky is considered like lock of locks at this point. He is number six. I think Shaden Sharp's got a sh- shot at being uh, at being the best guy in the class. But in the here and now, Bailey, although my long-term projection, this wasn't the question, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I will say the best player in this class is going to be Lively one, Sharp two, uh, Whitehead three, George four, Bailey five, Livingston six. That's my order. Bailey five. You're about to get. Yeah, you're did. about to I get did. involved in a Drake, a Drake diss track. You're about to get involved in a Drake diss That's track. That's my angle here. What are you talking about? We. You, you, it's not enough to have Jalen Duran's commitment video on a Twitter feed. Uh, be enough. No, no, no. I need a podcast drop on a Drake song. Immediately by by the end of August, we need to make that. You happen. rank Amari Baylor fifth in the class of 2022. Now you <laughs> seems it seems relevant to include the fact that I've never seen Amari Bailey play in person. You're so. going to end up on a Drake diss track. It's been a big a big year for Amari and his mom. Imagine this. Everything I'm about to say is true. Mom started dating Drake. Got a date at Dodger Stadium. Just like, I don't mean they went to a Dodger game. I mean, they had a date at Dodger Stadium. The Dodgers weren't even there. They just had a dinner on the warning track. Which is <laughs> on weird, the warning track. They had dinner on the warning track. It's a metaphor for something. Uh, why would you have dinner on, like, what would you even want dinner on the warning track? Like, my wife said to me, like, hey, you want to have dinner tonight? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. Where do you want to go? She's like, the warning track. I was like, I don't want to sit on the warning track at a baseball field. It's, it's dirty. You know, it's, yeah. it's like actual uh, dirt. Yeah, that's, it's getting in your shoes. Now, you want to be right behind the mound, I feel. That's the best. If you're going to eat on the baseball field, that's where you want to go. Where is the best place to eat on a baseball field? I think you might have got that right. Yeah. Right behind the mound. That's right. Yeah. Come on. What else are you coming to this podcast for? Uh, obviously. Then I, I'd get my appetizer. I'd knock that out. Get a drink, of course. And while we're waiting on the entree, you know what I'd do? Pop up, go out to second base, use my soft hands, catch some ground balls. That's soft hands, no, man. The roll you. <laughs> no, so, 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 Mama Joanna Joanna Leah, yeah. she starts dating Drake, and now Amari Bailey is the number one ranked player in the class of 2022. Name a mother son combo had a better year than those two. You can't. It's tough. Off the top of my head, I can't give you anything. It's been a big. It's been a big summer. It's a it's a hell of a summer. Congrats to them, both Mama and uh, and Amari and and of course Drake. He's got a new album dropping at some point. All right, uh, rolling along. Kevin Gangler asks, "How many bids will the Big Ten get next season?" It's an interesting one. Big Ten got nine last season, set a conference record in doing so. 
Uh, and, and getting there, you know, Maryland was a 10, Rutgers was a 10, and Michigan State was in the first four. Um, while And while we originally thought there might have been, you know, back in early January, we thought there might be a team or two on the Big Ten that winds up uh, missing the tournament, but just barely. That was not the case. Uh, the teams that missed out were Penn State, which was 11-14, Indiana, which just completely caved in and finished 12-15, and Minnesota, 14-15, and just went had an atrocious back half of the season. So that wasn't – you had Michigan State squeaking in, but there was no one that was just on the outside looking in. Parrish, my number for this is going to be eight. Uh, and here are the eight that I'm going to have. Uh, hold me to it. Circle back. Early March, and we'll see just how wrong I was about this. I will go, and this is my order, so my seed projections, I guess. I will go Michigan. I won't guess the seeds, but just in terms of overall ranking. Michigan 1, Purdue, then Illinois, then Ohio State. I think that's what you have in order in your preseason top 25 and 1, I think. Uh, Then I will go Michigan State. Then I will go, and this one will be, I think, debatable, but I'm going to buy in on the fact that you're going to return someone who might be the best player in the league, and that'll be enough. I'll go Indiana at six with Trace Jackson Davis. Rutgers brings enough back. They're seven. And then my eighth team, kind of flipping between Rutgers and Maryland, but I'll have Maryland. So Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan State, Indiana, Rutgers, Maryland. Those are my eight teams playing from the Big Ten in the 2022 Big Dance. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I've got Michigan, Purdue, Illinois, Ohio State, Maryland, Michigan State, and then yeah, I think Rutgers goes there, and I think Indiana could could go there too. Is that that's eight? We not leave anybody else on the bubble? Of course, there will be somebody else on the bubble, but like, um, most likely team. I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna say Iowa. Probably they were two seed last season. They lost a lot, but if it, I mean, they lost so much. Um, they lost. They lost a lot, but I'll I'll just I, I think they're the most likely team to be on the bubble. If you want to slot me in a, a nine one, and then Northwestern closely behind. I think Northwestern, which was nine to fifteen a season ago, is going to be uh, right around five hundred, and and certainly will be better this year. They bring back as much as almost any other team in the league. All right, next question comes from at Brian Schroll, and he asked, "What is your favorite story you've ever been able to tell?" What. <laughs> What's the favorite? Like, what's the? Do you have a story that you told? Like, do you, let me ask you first. Do you have one? Like, like you got done with it, and you're like, I'm glad I did that. Because <laughs> here, 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 like, here's the truth. Like, I have some friends who love writing. Like, they love it. Like, like me. I, you love writing. I do. Yes. For me, I love talking. I, know. I love. I actually. <laughs> I know. I enjoy doing this podcast. Like I don't, I, I enjoy prepping for it. I enjoy actually doing it. I enjoy talking on TV, prepping for it and doing it. If the truth is writing at this point is like, um, I'm always glad when I'm done. And I don't mean I'm glad cause I'm finished. I'm like, every time I'm done, I go, I'm glad I did this today. You know, like I'm, I'm it's a little bit like, like jogging, you know, like I hate jogging, but when I, but when I get through jogging, I go, I'm glad I did that. <laughs> but I hate doing it. Mm. I hate the process. But, I, but I'm always glad that I did it. That's the way the writing is. I don't enjoy sitting down and saying, okay, time to write. But when I'm done, I'm, 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 always, uh, I'm always glad I did it. And there are stories when I'm done. I go, I'm glad I was able to write that column. Or I'm glad I was able to share that story. Do you have one? A story you, a story you were glad you were, you were the one you were able to share? Um, 
Yeah, I interpreted this question as one like where you were going to say like something that you shared on the podcast or the radio as opposed to writing. But yeah, there's been no shortage of those kind of stories at all. Um, I'd say uh, the one that kind of really continues to have an impact, which I'm thankful for, is the late Andrew Smith, who played at Butler, um, and I initially wrote uh, a long story about his battle with cancer, and at one point he collapsed and was unconscious for, you know, nearly 20 minutes, and most people who have that happen to them, you know, once you lose oxygen flow to your brain, you can suffer severe long-term effects and brain issues and like you can become a vegetable that didn't happen he miraculously was okay it was just an incredible story but tragically um uh his cancer returned and and he died uh, a few years ago but before he died um he you know he imparted to those that he was close to about just how important it was to make sure that you were uh you know donating to be the match and you know, one of his former teammates, Chase DeGaulle, did this, and Chase DeGaulle, by donating, wound up saving the life of a young boy named Deegan. And in fact, coincidentally enough, uh, earlier this week, uh, uh, Andrew Smith's uh, widow, uh, who he was married to, and who has since uh, remarried and had a child, announced that Deegan is, he had beaten cancer earlier, but he is completely cancer-free. So that was, so it's, those stories kind of took place over the course of about three, three and a half years or whatever. But those are some of the the bigger ones that I've been able to uh, to do and, and and write about. And we did some video stuff and some feature stuff for CBS with that. But that's a uh, that's a big one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird, or maybe not weird, but it's um I don't know something. I, most I think if you ask most people this question, most people in our profession, they're gonna immediately burn, be drawn to some story that they shared that was rooted in tragedy. Mm-hmm. You know, could those, those resonate with you? Um, I don't know. They just, they, they stay with you. And, you know, when I was thinking about this last night, um, it's a story I told about John Redmond um, that, that has always stuck with me. Do you remember this one at all? I think you'll remember it when I tell you, I do. but John, yeah, he was um, an assistant coach at Dalton state in, in Dalton, Georgia and uh, was engaged to a, a young woman named Brittany Huber. And they were literally driving to their wedding location in advance of their wedding. It wasn't the day of the wedding, but it was like, hey, we're going to this place to get married and we're driving to this place now. And it was raining and um, they had a blowout on the interstate and started hydroplaning and hit a you know, concrete bridge column. And Brittany died at the scene. And John was in a coma for nearly three weeks, um, but eventually woke up. And I don't remember, I was trying to think of it last night, like how did I even know this story? Because I didn't know John Redman um, before this was brought to my attention. I think it was in some email group chain thing that I was on. And they were like, hey, you know, prayers for John Redman. He's, you know, his, his fiance died and he's in a hospital and in a coma and they don't know if he's ever, you know, going to wake up. They don't know if he'll make it. And I just, that stuck with me. And I kept looking for any sort of updates and asking people like, is you know, any sort of update? I just, I don't, I was suddenly in, interested in this story. Um, um, 
And so I, I, I reached out to him, like I, I miraculously, and that's not an overstatement. He he eventually woke up and you know got back to working at Dalton State, like being an assistant basketball coach again. And I reached out to him, like total, you know, cold not a cold call, but the equivalent of that with an email. Hey, my name's Gary Parrish. I work for CBS Sports. First, my condolences, but um, you know, I'd I'd love to come sit down with you spend some time with you and maybe try to tell this story because, um, you know, it's just great to hear that you're back working. And he could, he responded very quickly. I remember, and we set it up and I drove to, to Dalton, Georgia, and he tells me the whole story and, you know, it's just wild to think about. So he's in a coma for three weeks, roughly. He has no recollection of the car accident at all. He just wakes up and he knows he's in the hospital. And obviously heavily medicated at this point. And every once in a while, as he tells the story, he would ask for Brittany. Hey, like, where's Brittany? You know, why hasn't she come to see me? And they would immediately just like hit him with more drugs and like, hey, go back to sleep. And he would just forget about it. Right. But then wake up. And it got to a point where this is not something you're going to be able to just keep from him much longer. And so they bring her family in and they tell her, tell him, you know, because he said he was actually getting mad said, I remember being mad. Like, why isn't my fiance here to see me? I'm in the hospital, hooked up all these machines. She won't even come see me. He was like angry. They finally tell him like, uh, she didn't make it. And like, I can't even imagine what, what that's like. Um, and so he just sort of tells me about everything from there. And like her funeral was, either the day of the wedding that it was supposed to be or something real close, the bridesmaids dresses were worn at the funeral. I mean, it was just Mm -hmm. the most awful thing in the world. And he of course uh, wasn't able to attend the funeral. Um, But I just, I, I, I loved him, you know, opening up to me as much as he did, allowing me to tell that story. I got to spend some time with Tony Engel, who was the head coach at Dalton state um, at the time and, and really stood by John and, you know, allowed him to, get better and but still remain a, uh, a member of that staff and sadly you know tony died earlier this year um from covid at the age of of, of 68 and so i just I, I i loved i loved reporting that story sitting spending time with him and then being able to share that story and i, I still keep in touch with john like he's now an assistant coach at delta state so we're both mississippians and uh, he's, he's now married and, uh, and, and by all accounts doing really well. But that's one that I've, I, I don't know that I'll ever get that story out of my head. Like I've never, yeah. I obviously never met Brittany Huber, but I can still close my eyes and I mean, you know, see pictures of her. I, I still, I can see her face, you know, and I, I rem, you know, I remember the story and I, I, that's one where I was, I was glad I got to do that story. Um, so that's just one that's always stuck with me. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a powerful one. Was that uh now, was that 2015? How long ago was that? Around now? there. I want to say like 2013, 14. Was it really? Uh, Honestly, like wow. I was Googling last night trying to find the story. I can't find it. Well, we changed our publishing platform. So that's why some of the stuff that we used to have, unfortunately, you, you might have to go to uh, archive.org to, uh, to get that kind yeah, of Yeah, I found stuff. a lot of references to it. Yeah. But yeah. I couldn't find my actual story, which was a little uh, yeah. disappointing. The old Wayback Machine might be, uh, might be your gateway there. All right, last question on a lighter note. said, hey, Norlander, yeah. I started listening to the pod about halfway through this past season, and I absolutely love it. 
But as a huge Knicks fan, I got to know what's the deal with the joke about R.J. Barrett and not knowing he exists. I don't even understand this question. Who is R.J. Barrett? Where did it start? Thanks. Parrish, who is R.J. Barrett? R.J. Barrett is a Canadian basketball player who is currently a member of the New York Knickerbockers. Um, Between high school and the NBA, he played one year in college at this place called Duke. I know Duke. You've heard of Duke. Okay, that's good. He was teammates with a guy named Zion course, Williamson. Obviously, okay. Can, can, obviously you pl- remember Zion. can you please not just be condescending? Explain to me who RJ Barrett is, though. I know Zion was there. Cam Reddish was there. Uh, Trey Jones. I know all these guys. Yeah, but what's right. so? What, what's the point? Okay, so RJ was the one that took a um, he took a bunch of shots. Might have <laughs> been, might have been the second best college basketball player in the country that year, next to Zion Williamson. He was terrific. It's wild that you uh. Have blacked that out completely. Yeah, Mark Mark Marquise Bolden, obviously Jack White. Who could forget Javin Delorier? I think Justin Robinson might have come off the bench and played a few minutes that season. You're telling me RJ Barrett was on that team. I cannot believe you forgot RJ Barrett and the fact that Jalen Brown and Ivan Rab played in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. All in the same lifetime. All right. So uh yeah, so I want to say Earlier this year, although maybe it happened in 2020, who's to say at this point, we did a trivia time. Do you remember the details of the trivia time or no? Has it been lost? I, you remember almost nothing, except the fact that Ivan Rabb and Jalen Brown went to the NCAA tournament. Do you remember what you asked me? Something to do with teammates, All-Americans, first-team All-Americans, I think, something like that. And I just I completely blanked on R.J. Barrett's time at Duke. Just absurdly... Drop the ball. Like it, but I didn't. It, I'll tell you what I didn't do. I didn't forfeit the question. <laughs> I didn't forfeit the question. I just took my L. Okay. And so since then, yes. Occasionally on this podcast, we will have bits and you'll have to have listened to previous episodes. And that's part of the fun of it. And that is why I will sometimes, in a deadpan fashion, refuse to acknowledge or play off that I don't know who RJ Barrett is and where he played at college. But for those who are confused by it, because I know we did add a lot of listeners this year, that is, that is the reason why if you didn't listen to the episode in real time, it doesn't have the same kind of impact, but occasionally we will stumble into unattended moments of humor or (laughs) disgrace. And then we will continually uh, reference them offhand. And that is one such instance. Um, It got so ridiculous that, I was trying to narrow it for you. And it was like, he was a first team all American who played. I mean, it got this far first team all American who played with Zion Williamson. And you were like, "Mm." I'm like, seriously? Like it got to a point where I thought you were faking it. It was like, this was two, this was a couple of years ago. Like first team all American who played with Zion Williamson at Duke. And was the third pick in the draft. Um, uh, geez, I don't. Mm, I was like, "Are you being serious right now?" It was so. So that's where now, now Norlander acts like he never knows who RJ Barrett is. On the similar note, somebody left a review the other day. Uh huh. Did you see this? One? I okay. no, I didn't. But I had. I went and checked. I probably did, but I I hadn't checked the reviews in like more than two months. So I did. I did pop in here. And a couple of them did make me chuckle, but I'm not sure. Okay, which so, so this guy, and I, I, I believe he's being sincere. 
It says, hey, you know, listen to the podcast. And uh, I heard you mention one time that Elvis Presley went to UMass Lowell. <laughs> and I think he said he was maybe a graduate of UMass Lowell. And he was like blown away by this. And so he's got a friend who is a massive Elvis fan. And he was talking to this friend. She's a woman. And he, got, he was like, you, you know, Elvis went to school for, you know, just a little bit, you know, like a semester at UMass Lowell. <laughs> and she's like. I don't think that's true. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God. he's like, no, it's 100% true. Like, you know, like he's swearing by it. And she's like, I don't think that, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> and, and, she, and he's, uh, he, he like, they made some sort of wager on it. So then this woman goes to Graceland. <laughs> This and they cannot got all be the real. There's no I, way this happened. I feel it like the way he wrote He's it. Gotta made be it playing sincere. into the bit. He has to be. I want this to be true. Continue. So he says his friend goes to Graceland. They've got the historians there, and she's like pulling one of them aside. Saying, <laughs> oh, no, listen. I want to ask. I can't find any evidence that Elvis Presley went to UMass, <laughs> but my friend insists that he did. Like, what do you know about that? And they've got the Graceland historians uh, looking into it. No, and they can find no, no evidence of it. Uh, and it's just. <sighs> well, so, yeah, I got to say. The Graceland historians got to be better. You Do your job. Be if you cannot provide evidence that Elvis Presley attended UMass Lowell for a semester before enlisting in the American Armed Services, then I don't think you deserve to have that post. Be better and do better. And so that became a thing because I randomly told an Elvis Presley story oh, or a Tupelo story or something, mm. and and then we were also in that con in the in that podcast talking about UMass Lowell because they had. We had challenged them to go beat Ohio State. <laughs> and, they <couldn> do <laughs> and then, it. then they, could, they could be a permanent part of the podcast or something like that. And then I just made up, I completely made up a story about Elvis Presley going to UMass Lowell. Incredible. And then, and we, then we just continued, then for the rest of the year, we just continued to act like that was a thing. Like, didn't John Gallagher's Hartford team, is that right? They beat UMass Lowell? Because I remember like tweeting, like, this is. This is tough for Elvis Presley's alma mater. <laughs> I hate to see him be eliminated like this, but I couldn't be happier for John Gallagher. I think that was a thing, but maybe I might be making that up too. You know, that's the thing about this podcast. Sometimes I just make things up, but no, it's true. On Saturday, March 13th, Hartford beat UMass Lowell. Yeah, yeah, El yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Tired Elvis Presley's alma mater, 64-50 to advance to the NCAA tournament. That uh, a lot of people don't realize that, that UMass Lowell team also had Ivan Rabb on the roster. So he did not get to the tournament for a second time. It's tough. It's a tough, tough break. Deal. Hey, I hope everyone enjoyed our long overdue first true mailbag episode. Again, feel free to drop anything, mostly hoops, but the occasional non-hoops thing, we can get into it. We can get a little quirky, a little, little goofy for you. And um, we appreciate everyone listening. Continue to uh, to rate it well. Share it with friends. It's, it's highly appreciated. We'll continue to be here for you. And yeah, if this is the kind of thing that you enjoyed, we'll try and mix it in here and there because it's giving voice to you guys and what you got to uh, what you want us to talk about. So I had a good time. You have a good time? I guess. Scoops. Come on, man. I feel I can't go I with scoops. Like, Little Gary, maybe. No, it scoop. It was scoop, not scoops. Oh, just not, scoop. Uh, just scoop. <laughs> yeah, because scoop the ball up. Like scoop Jardine. Okay. I scoop the ball up. <laughs> Couldn't get anything by me. Now I might field it and throw it in the dugout. That, that's not that, that, that's certainly within the realm of possibilities, but I was going to catch it. 
Ah, oh, man. Hands are soft, boy. They even put it in my evaluation at Mississippi State. They still get really soft hands. I said, you know what? I've heard that before. You know why? Because I used to take ground balls with ping pong paddles. I had a glove stapled to a ping pong paddle, like a like a mitten. And I would I would field ground balls with a ping pong paddle to create my soft hands. Okay. You should have seen it. It's a hell of a, that's a hell of a vision, GP. Can't wait till I make a hole in one. It's it's gonna be something. Give them the shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Ding Ding, legend. Shouts to Larnell. Ding Ding, eighth leading score on Baylor's 2015 team. Got a three seed in the NCAA tournament, and then lost to Georgia State. He averaged 2.9 points in 8.8 minutes per game. You remember Ding Ding? Everyone remembers Ding Ding. Born in Sudan, moved to Egypt at the age of four, then to Australia at the age of nine, played Juco for two years, and then played at Baylor. That's a well-traveled dude. Guess where he's at now? Back in Australia playing for the Brisbane Bullets of the NBL. How do they still get to be the Bullets? We had to change our bullets. No, they, they don't have massive gun violence in Australia. That's, That's basically the answer. The answer. That's correct. <laughs> yeah. They don't have massive gun, un- unnecessary and disappointing maddening gun violence they don't have that in in australia so they they get to keep they get to keep their brisbane bullets and now our washington basketball team they're the wizards thank you guys and gals for listening once again to the island college basketball podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime it really is that's something i just started saying it has turned into the absolute dumbest pandemic of my lifetime and, and I'd argue anybody's dumb. And pandemic. the only pandemic. <laughs> but they are one of the same. We might be at the point where this is the dumbest pandemic in anybody's lifetime. I th- they didn't <laughs> argue about this stuff in previous pandemics. You know? We weren't arguing about I all this stuff in previous pandemic. The, the doctors just said, hey, here's what, we, uh, here's what you ought to do. And everybody was like, cool, let's do it then. What happened? No wonder Ding Ding fled this country. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you can subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. <laughs> We'd appreciate it. Rate it while you're there. Review it if you can. We'll talk to you again real soon. Until then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.